Good to see you this evening. Very quickly, many people have asked about a number of things about our ministry. We'd like to just take five minutes right now and show you our promotional video so you can get a little feel for what the Summerdorfs are about in the mission field we call America. If ever there was a time in America that we are in need of God, it is today. As many are finding, the only hope the world can offer is in electing better politicians, enacting new laws, and seeking to cultivate better communities. But we know that the only real hope of our nation is that believers would turn their hearts back to God and that sinners would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It was in the spring of 2000 when God stirred our hearts to sell a successful family business and leave Wasilla, Alaska with our six children to enter into the ministry of evangelism. As a farm boy in Minnesota, I had grown up attending church, but was never taught the way of salvation. Five months after joining the Marine Corps, while training for avionics work on the EA-6B Prowler, I was led to Christ through a servicemen center outreach at Millington, Tennessee. Little did I know that God had been preparing me for ministry, even as a young man. My background as a farm boy, United States Marine and businessman, has enabled me to connect with almost every person who crosses my path. And our work in various aspects of the ministry has given us the ability to be a help and blessing to pastors and church members wherever we go. Our ministry today has a threefold purpose. First, to strengthen the local church. The Bible declares in 1 Timothy 3:15 that the local church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The hope of our nation is not only strong families, but also strong churches. We accomplish this strengthening endeavor through practical, powerful, and passionate preaching on several dozen topics, ranging from the home, finding God's will, and overcoming bitterness. Additionally, our ministry coordinates the Gary Prisk Memorial Missions Fund in honor of my friend and mentor, the late Dr. Gary Prisk. This fund is used to encourage pastors and to further the work of church planting by sponsoring a number of delegates each year to attend one of the more impactful conferences in our nation. All travel expenses and registration fees for each attendee are covered, and the encouragement they receive is immeasurable. The second purpose of our ministry is to encourage the saint. Through our time in the church, we have one consuming desire. It is to move every single Christian one step closer to the Lord than when we arrived. This also is accomplished through prayer, preaching, and personal time with God's people. And finally, to engage the unredeemed. For years, our outreach into local communities was primarily through individual witnessing and a tent ministry with the music of our children. In 2008, with the last of our children preparing to leave the fold, we added a unique tool of engagement, the military corvette, a memorial to the victims of 9-11 of the war against terror and a tribute to America's troops. This tool is a reminder to all of our nation's godly heritage. In our fast-paced and focused society today, it effectively draws curiosity seekers who turn aside to see it. The military vet has been used at events everywhere from Ground Zero in New York City to Camp Pendleton, California, to the National Corvette Museum where it was viewed by nearly a half a million visitors during its stay. We are amazed to see how many people are willing to visit our website, read our literature, and reach out to us to hear the gospel message because of this tool. 
Additionally, in 2015, our ministry developed and launched a care package program to our troops. Having been impacted by the truth of the gospel as a young serviceman, I was burdened to reach out to our troops with specially designed materials to meet their spiritual needs as well. From individual branch-specific pocket patrol packs to a DVD about the military vet, our troops receive incredible spiritual truth ranging from sermons to music to testimonials and scripture. A gospel presentation entitled Final Inspection brings each viewer face to face with their personal need for Christ. At the end of life, we individually one-on-one meet our creator. Our ministry sends all of this spiritual ammo downrange into the hearts and minds of our servicemen and women cost free. And we are always thrilled to hear from those who have been saved and also receive spiritual help and encouragement as a result of this outreach. Our field is America and our focus is the Lord. The heart of our ministry is summed up in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Please pray for our ministry and we look forward to serving with you for the glory of God. Trust you enjoyed that promotional DVD. Our ministry continues to expand, and we have other things coming online, and uh, I, am, I do have, like your pastor, I have a radio program, but not daily, but weekly, and uh, we... I've also seen my wife move into the author mode. She now has authored two ladies' books, and the first one has been incredibly received. Over 1,600 copies in two years have already gone out. And, in fact, the second one uh, is being used at Brother Garcia's church right now. Forty ladies are going through their, that book as a study. And so she's got two books out, Becoming a Glorious Daughter of the King and Just a Closer Walk. Ladies, if you're interested in good material that's gritty, gracious, and will move you ahead in your Christian walk. Uh, I was her editor, and I came under conviction editing both of these books. They're very well written. Please see us also if you want a complimentary newsletter, get a prayer card. We've got all of that. And then I just want to say this. It was interesting to me when I came in that many of you really didn't care that I was here. You just wanted to know where the Corvette was. And I thought, well, I get that once in a while, you know. So where's the Corvette? Well, I'm here. That, that's good. But where's the Corvette? You know, this is what I got. It has been donated. It got donated last year on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 to a museum an hour and a half from Ground Zero and a little over an hour and a half from Shanksville, strategically located in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Museum of, is America on Wheels. It's their showroom car now. And we donated it on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And my, what a crowd and a ceremony and a day we had. We had politicians come in. We got the gospel to so many people. And that car right now is giving the gospel out every single day the museum is open through QR codes, through monitor and, and uh, video, and though most of the staff is lost, they said, we promise you, we will use this car just the way you've used it through these electronics and outreach, and uh, it is daily. It's a burning bush. People turn aside to see what in the world that car is all about, and they get to hear from God. 3,030 names under the hood of those who died in 9-11. 6,318 names on the trunk of the men and women, boys and girls who died 
fighting the war against terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many roses posted, many memories made, and the car is still that burning bush pointing people to the one who gave his life to set them free. Amen? So there's our ministry. If you have other questions, be sure to ask us. Hey, did you hear the news break today? (laughs) I mean, all the major news networks missed it. CNN missed it. MSNBC, ABC, CBS, even Fox News missed it. But the Word of God declares it. A king is coming. Amen? And he's just not any old king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But better than that, if you're saved, he's your king. And he's my king. And he's coming again for us. Take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 2. And as we're turning there, don't stand yet. If you want a handout, if you'd like a handout or a pen, just slip your hand up. Some have said to me, we like those handouts. They're good to take notes on. And one thing I'll say about a handout, never forget this. Truth is never good if it just sits with us. Amen? Truth is never good when you hear it if it just sits with you. The handout is intended to allow you to take this truth in a very organized fashion and pass it on to someone else. Hold a study with your neighbor. Get something going with somebody in your neighborhood. Amen? And this is intended that you pass it on and move it on into the lives of others. Revelation chapter 2, I'll let you remain seated. Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says this, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Look at these next two words in verse 2. Eight times in chapters 2 and 3, the Lord says these two words. He says, I know. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Verse 4, he says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Look at what he says in verse 7. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In chapter 1 this morning, we saw the portrait of our King. We saw Jesus Christ revealed as no other artist has ever portrayed Him before. Not as the Son of God in His humanity, but as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the one which was and which is and forever shall be, the Almighty God. And we were reminded this morning in Revelation chapter 1 that our King is coming in power and incredible glory and that He offers grace and peace to those who humble themselves before Him. I look across America tonight. I look at how people's, people are living 
how society at large is operating. And let me just say this, they're living low lives today. And sometimes I come to the house of God and I meet God's people and as I get to know them, sometimes I say, wow, why are they living that way? There's, there's oftentimes lives that are being lived lowly. There's low lives today and there's low living and people ask me, why do people live such low lives? It's because they have a low view or no view of this soon returning king. In chapter 1, we saw the portrait of our king this morning, but here in chapters 2 and 3, the focus is not how we see him, but instead, it is how he sees us. Corporately as church families scattered around the world, but individually as individual believers as well. This morning, we saw the portrait of our king tonight. With the Lord's help, I'd like to preach about the perception of our king. I would like to consider tonight the perception of our king. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for who you are. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your righteousness. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Father, we are ever so grateful for your love bestowed upon us through the finished work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name your blessing on our time tonight as we consider these two chapters in Revelation, as we look at the soon returning King, your Son, our Savior. Lord, I pray tonight as we consider his perception, what he sees and knows of us. Lord, as this message goes forth, as your people tonight, help us not to be hearers only. But Father, by your grace, help us to be doers of thy word. And if there's one among us who is not saved, may tonight be that night their faith finds a resting place in Jesus Christ alone. For we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The perception of our King. I wonder if you've ever had this experience in life, somebody that you looked up to and respected, maybe it was a teacher, Maybe a coach, maybe a relative, a sports figure, but along in time, you found something out about them that was less than stellar. I think of some modern examples we've seen not that long ago. I think of Tiger Woods, and I think there was a day that there was Tiger was, was sought at by every individual and every, every manufacturer. They wanted him to be the endorser. He was the epitome of character. The embodiment of it. And then there was that weaving ride in the Bronco and all of the things came out about his private life. And as much as we'd like to go back to that original thought of who Tiger was, we can't help it. Now we know some things about him. And let me tell you, you never look at Tiger Woods the same way as you did 15 years ago. I think of Lance Armstrong and the Livestrong Foundation. Lance, a multiple Tour de France winner following cancer. The epitome of character. And then the doping scandal came out and all that went with it and all those, those awards stripped from him and all those titles. And I don't care how much you try, when you hear the name Lance Armstrong, you no longer look at him now as you used to before that information came out. 
When you look at Revelation 2 and 3, really that's what these two chapters are all about. Seven literal churches that represent everything going on in Christianity today. Let me just say this. They represent us corporately as church families. One of those seven churches is going to be just like you. You are going to be like one of those seven churches, Treasure Valley Baptist Church. You're going to be like one of them. And as individual believers... These seven churches represent everything that's going on in believers around the world today. For every one of us will closely identify with one of these seven churches. But these seven churches are being inspected by the king. He tries them, he measures them, and then he reveals the truth about who they really are. Eight times he says, I know. The late Oliver Cromwell was a man, if you know your history, who was covered with warts from head to toe. The day came where he commissioned an artist to paint a royal portrait of himself, and his instructions were very clear. They were twofold. Number one, I want this to be a true rendition of me. And second of all, I don't want to see it until it's finished. And so day by day, week by week, Sir Oliver Cromwell would come and sit in front of this artist, and the artist on his easel would go ahead and work the portrait of Sir Oliver Cromwell. There came the wonderful day, the unveiling of it. Sir Oliver Cromwell, in great regality, pomp, and ceremony, came forward. He sat down, and the artist, with great, uh, just with great pride, turned that easel around with a flourish, took the took the the covering off, and there was Sir Oliver Cromwell, and all of his finery, all of his regalia, and he was painted without a single wart showing. And he said, sir, did I not commission you to paint a true portrait of me? He said, yes, your majesty, you did. He said, then why did you take the liberty to remove those warts? And he said, sir, your highness, I didn't believe it was becoming you. And so I took the liberty to remove them. And with great indignation, Sir Oliver Cromwell said this, a quote that has traveled the centuries. He said, sir, you paint me warts and all. You know, look at your Bible. (laughs) Our king is great at covering things, but he reveals things as well. I think of David and how easy it would have been to just cover up that nighttime scene and that moment where David fell into adultery and all of the cover-up. But you know what? David travels through the Bible and the king presents him to you and me today, warts and all. I think of Noah, how easy it would have been to just leave him there as the one of eight righteous, preached for 120 years, and yet following the flood, he steps off that ark, and there's that less than stellar moment. And I see the king didn't Photoshop that. He traveled it through the Bible, and he paints Noah, warts and all. You can travel through your Bible. You can travel through life. And you need to recognize something about our God. He paints us. And he knows us, warts and all. I want you to take your little notes out because I want to give you a saying tonight that I think is going to kind of hit you. And I know it really hits me every time I say it. But as we consider the perception of our king, here's what you and I need to recognize. This will help us in our walk with Jesus Christ. This will help you no matter who you are. Fill this in. Here's what I want you to understand. 
You are who God says you are. Not who you say you are. Or even who others may think you are. Wow. That's humbling. You know tonight, you are who God says you are. Not who you say you are. Or even who others may think you are. Because God knows everything about you. And when He says, this is who you are, that is who you are. Amen? His perception overrules all. Years ago, we were coming into Fort Hood, Texas, into the largest military base in the free world. A month out, the pastor called me, and he asked me to get involved. I said, what's up? He said, our our song leader, a, a great guy, has fallen into sin... I'll not name his name uh, to you, but I could say his name tonight. Married for 28 years, and while one of the soldiers was overseas, he started a relationship with an 18-year-old girl. He's left his wife of 28 years, and now he's with her. He respects you, Brother Dave. We're going to try to deal with him one more time tonight, but later tonight I'll call you, and if he doesn't listen, I want you to call him tomorrow, and maybe you can say something that would make a difference. I'll never tinker with church members without a pastor's permission. Y'all aren't mine. Amen. This isn't my pulpit. You're not my people. But if a pastor asks, I think to myself, I might as well swing the bat. You never know if you'll connect. I called that kid the next night, and he answered the phone. I couldn't believe it, and we talked. And I told him, I said, you know, your problem is you think you traded your wife out for that little thing. But I'm going to tell you, you really traded the testimony of your God out for her. And I'm going to pray for you. And he said, oh, I appreciate that, Brother David. He said, I said, you have no clue how I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray God ruins your life and makes it so miserable you flee your sin and get right with God. We came in a month later to do a conference there. A young lady's dad had come down from North Carolina and said, my daughter doesn't live this way, and jerked her out of the thing, threw the guy on the street. He crawled back to his wife of 28 years, and she took him back. We came into the church. We were preaching that week. We finished the conference Wednesday night. I'll never forget the busyness of of ministry, people coming and going. So hard to talk to everybody. We try to, but it often doesn't happen. And as we were putting that ministry down, the ministry board and table and all, all of a sudden, there that couple stood. They were standing there wanting to talk. I straightened up and I said, hey, I said, how you guys doing? How you doing? I said, he said, well, we're, I think we're doing good. I said, you know, really don't want your opinion right now. How are you doing? And I turned to her. I'll never forget her answer. She looked down. She said, it's hard, preacher, but I think we'll make it. Pray for us. Both Deb and I there, we turned to him and I said, you know, it's been so busy this week, we haven't had any personal time. I'll tell you what, next time through, we would love to take you out to lunch. Would that be okay? And they said, you do that for us. I said, well, sure we would. Absolutely we would because we've come to understand something being married all these years that that 
Every marriage has a struggle. Even we have struggles. Maybe not on your level, but we have struggles and trials as well. And they both looked at us, and this is what they said, Not you, Brother Summerdorf. Not you. I said, well, yeah, us too. And this is what they said. Well, we don't see that. You know what I said? That's because we don't let you see it. We just let you see the slice of us we're comfortable letting you see. Could I get an amen there? You know, if we're not careful, we'll operate no differently than the politicians in their campaign. Trying to sell something that is not entirely true. Can I remind you tonight, there are no perfect marriages. Amen? Could I get an amen there? I've had people say, but no, I met this couple. They've been married for 45 years. They've never had a fight. They've never had a tiff. They've never had any of that. I said, really? How do you know they've never had a tiff and it's always been heaven on earth? Well, because we've been in their house. I said, is that right? Yeah, we've been there. I said, you want to know something? They knew you were there. <laughs> Amen? There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect, sinless, perfection believers. There's no perfect church. I, I love coming through. You all are rejoicing to my heart. But I'm going to tell you right now, it is still old McDonald's farm. Here a flaw, there a flaw, everywhere a flaw, flaw. You, you have those, okay? We're flawed individuals. None of you is glowing so full of God that I have to hide my eyes. And frankly, I'm not either. We're under construction. But there is someone who knows everything about you. That's your king. And that's the one you ought to listen to more than anybody else. You are who God says you are, not who you say you are, or even who others may think you are. And I chose out of these seven churches, three of them, that I think well represent us tonight. And us being American believers, and us being a church in America. The first one I chose, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, look at the first one I chose that so well represents our weak areas. They represent where we live tonight. Of these three churches, this is my struggle. I believe with all my heart this will be the areas you struggle with as well. But the first church we find is the church at Ephesus. And what was this church's struggle? It was the loveless church. Write that down. It was the loveless church. Notice with me, he says in verse 1, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Look at this list. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, which means carried, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Look up for just a moment. Here the king commends this church in seven areas. 
And I'm going to say right now, if I was pastoring again, I would love to pastor a church with these seven hallmarks. They were workers. They didn't just talk. They carried a load. They were patient. They had spiritual discernment. They could, they could smell out the false prophet from the true prophet. You know what I'm saying? They were there for the work days. They, they were incredible. This is a church that I would have loved to have pastored. And you would think with the seven things they were doing right, for that one area they were a little weak on, you'd think the king would have given them a pass, but he didn't. He commends them in seven areas, and he indicts them in one. He says this, nevertheless, verse 4, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Wow. This is the loveless church. And may I remind you as we move into this thought tonight, the perception of our king, he knew who they were. Could I remind you tonight that our king is a jealous king? He doesn't want second place. He wants first place. Revelation 2 tells us in verse 5 that he wants them to repent or he's going to get involved. This is how big a deal it is. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might look with me in Luke chapter 9 and we see something interesting here Jesus Christ dealing with three men makes this little note here and I find it fascinating how he deals with them in Luke chapter 9 in verse number 57 Luke 9 in verse 57 look at a man comes to him and wants to do what every one of us loves to hear people desire in Luke 9 in verse 57 scripture says and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And look at how the Lord responds in verse 58. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And you never see this man again. He walks away. Verse 59, Jesus said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And a third also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said this, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I call this the sin of the backward glance, but here's what I find fascinating. You might want to jot this down. Every man had a place for the Lord in his heart. Not a single one of them said, I don't want to follow you. Not a single one of them said, I don't want to serve you. Every one of these men had a place for God in his heart. Just not first place. And I believe most of you tonight have a place for the Lord in your heart. It's a Sunday night. There's probably some football game out there to watch. You could be doing that but you've chosen to gather in Jesus' name. I believe you've got a place in your heart. But is he first place? Or there's that old preacher, Tom Gillum, that would shuffle around, talk real slow like. 
He says, my soul, God don't want the first place. He wants all the places. How many of us say, Lord, you can have this part of me and this part of me, but that, that's mine. Don't ask me to consider sacrificing that for you. I want to tell you something. People all the time, time say, well, how much, of the Lord, how much of me should the Lord have? Well, how much of you did he buy? How much of you do you want him to take to heaven? I know some people that they don't want to give the Lord their tongue. Man, when the rapture takes place, I think there's going to be some tongues lying around. Yeah? Y'all with me? He paid for all of you. Every nook, every cranny, every corner, every room. He deserves all the places. Does he have them? This first church was the loveless church doing so many things right. And yet they'd left their first love. In John chapter 9, if you'd look with me, in John chapter 9, we see a man who was born blind. He received his sight. And look at what happens here. The Pharisees pounce and try to discredit what Jesus did. In John chapter 9 and verse 24, you don't want to miss this guy. He's such a unique fellow. He just talks just transparently, and he blows the religious crowd up every time he says something. In John 9, verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Listen to how he answers. He answered and said, Whether he be sinner or no, I know not. Guys, I have no theology degree. I, mm, I really don't know much. But one thing I know and whereas I was blind, yeah, now I see. He said, guys, I don't know all the theology. I just know before he showed up, I was blind. And after he passed by me, now I see. Explain that one. Boy, they don't like that. And so they said to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? They tried to discredit the process. He answered them, I've told you already. You did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? You want to have me tell you this again because you want to be his disciple too? This is what he's saying. This little gopher just pops up like whack-a-mole, and he just destroys the religious crowd. They pound him down by saying this, verse 28, they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, we're Moses' disciples. We know God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered, here he comes, third time, and said, This is an amazing thing. Why, herein is a marvelous thing, you know not from whence he is, yet he opened mine eyes. Look at verse 32. Since the world began, guys, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not a God, he could do nothing. Wow. Notice how they respond in verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You want to write something profound in your Bible? Religion will always toss you out. Religion will always toss you out. You will never measure up to the religious crowd. But when religion tosses you out and you get to the end of your little system of self-righteousness, look who shows up to pick you up every time it says jesus heard in verse 35 that they cast him out 
And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, how profound. And it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. He gets saved right there. This man had just been rescued from physical blindness, now rescued from spiritual blindness. Right there he gets saved. And immediately after getting saved, what does the Bible say he does? And he what? Worshipped him. That's a fascinating word. The word worship literally means smothered with affection. When we finish tonight, we're going to walk back to that green RV parked out front. And as we come up to the steps, there's going to be a little nose pressed up against the window. A nine and a half pound toy Australian shepherd named Mitzi. She's going to have her nose just pressed there, not necessarily looking for me, but looking for her. And as we put that key in the lock and we take those steps up the steps, you know what she's going to do? Deb's going to reach down and scoop her up and she's just going to be licking and grunting and licking and whining and then she's going to paw for me. I don't know why. She paws for me and I come in and I put my arm around her and Deb and she licks and grunts and squeals and just smothers us with affection. That is a picture of worship. I struggle with that. Raised in a strict German home where you showed love through obedience. And that is a measure of love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I call that love with work gloves on. The first time my father said those three words, I love you, was six years ago. Firstborn, strict German home, that's how I was raised. And for a moment when he said it, we four children were almost embarrassed. We didn't know what to say. This idea of smothering a father with affection for years was so foreign to me. But one day, you and I will meet our salvation. And when we do, I have no clue if the cameras can come down here, but if they can't, that's the benefit of being here. Your salvation will not be a program. Won't be a process. It'll be a person. And you will touch him, you will handle him, and I guarantee you, you will smother him with affection at that day. And at that time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with just getting in your little old closet, closing the doors, getting alone, and just saying, Lord, remind me again who you are and what you did for me. D.L. Moody and many preachers took the gospel to the gypsies. One man got saved, became an incredible preacher. His name, Gypsy Smith. Late in life, Gypsy was preaching one of his final sermons. And following that message, Gypsy was about 83 years old. An elderly man tottered up to thank him. And as he thanked him, he said, Gypsy, 
I heard you when you were a young man preaching. I, a young man as well. And when you preached one of your first messages, your message lifted me. Your love for Jesus Christ was undiminished. Your passion for the Savior just, it just lifted me up and made me want to love him more and serve him more. And I came to hear you one more time, and Gypsy, nothing's changed. Your love and passion for Jesus Christ is undiminished. Gypsy, what's the secret? to your love and passion for Jesus Christ. This is what Gypsy said. Alfred Smith made a song out of it. He said, Sir, I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never gotten over why he saved me. I've never gotten over what he did for me. I've never lost the wonder of it all. Can you remember those honeymoon years with Jesus Christ? Your first thought in the morning was him. Your last thought at night was him. You would fall asleep reading your Bible. You just, he was your everything. And what happened? In the busyness of life, in the bitterness of life, Jesus saves just for you now is a box that got checked. You've lost the wonder of it all. This world is a very harsh place, isn't it? It's a very hard place. But it always has been. What I'm watching is God's people are losing the wonder of who their Savior is and they're getting hard like the world to spiritual things. I wonder if the Lord came in and 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 uh, visited maybe a visitor would come and say wow these people really love the lord i wonder if the lord would say no not like they used to not like he used to not like she used to you are who god says you are not who you say you are this church was the loveless church i go to a second church though and i see it this is the church at sardis go to revelation 3 as we consider the perception of our king he knows everything about you he knows where you stand and do you truly love the lord with all your heart soul mind and strength or have you become lukewarm have you become loveless in your time with him notice in revelation 3 this is the lifeless church you can write it down this is the church at sardis he says in verse 1 of chapter 3 and under the angel of the church in sardis write these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Here we see Sardis. This represents oftentimes us today. This is the lifeless church. You say you're alive, but I say you're dead. You're doing things just out of duty. There's no delight anymore. This is the church that had become mindless and mechanical in everything they did. You know that can happen to us. Could I get an amen there? Oh, we can get mindless and mechanical in our giving. We just give because this is what we give. There's no joy in it. It's the check to be written. It's the bill to be paid. You know, we can become mindless and mechanical in our giving. We can become mindless and mechanical in our going, in our praying. I've watched men before when they're asked 
To pray for the offering, ask God to bless the meal instead. That's mindless and mechanical prayer. That's not, that's not praying, that's just saying your prayers. There's a difference. We just go through the motions so many times. We, we just check the box. I've caught myself doing it. We, we have a spirit of self-reliance tonight. This is the attitude I've seen sometimes. I've done it myself. You know, we hope the Lord will show up and move through the congregation but if he doesn't show up, we're okay. We got it handled. We know how to do the song service. We know how to preach. We know how to hold an invitation. We know how to sing the specials. We hope he'll show up, but if he doesn't, we're okay. We got it handled. I want to say this. If God does not show up in your life, in your heart, in your home, and in this house of God, you and I are not okay. Amen? He reminds us that he's the vine, we're the branches, and without him we can do nothing. I dealt with two souls today following the conference, and I was so aware that salvation is of the Lord. I can't make this happen. And as I'm talking to them, I'm literally in my heart praying, and I'm asking God, would you open their eyes? Would you show them who they are? Would you do what I cannot do? Would you quicken them? I can't do that. I'm a salesman. I can make anybody pray a prayer. But I can't give them life. I can't birth them into the kingdom of heaven. That's something that has to happen between them and God. If he doesn't show up, we're not okay. I remember in our ministry over the last 22 years, three times we've tasted revival in a church. Two of the churches were in Canada. One church was in Florida. And in every instance, the teenagers were the big triggers. And do you know what Holy Spirit revival looks like? It's, it's interesting. And the first time it happened and the Lord visited in a supernatural way, I said, whoa, I have never experienced that before. It's not running laps. It's not shouting and making it. It is a crushing and weeping and crumbling and begging and crying out to God for mercy. It's a melting and crumbling. I'll never forget the Florida church. You've got to get the setting. It's my last meeting before Christmas break. All the children are out and about. And we are heading to Kissimmee. When this meeting is over, around the 8th of December, on that Wednesday night, the very next day we're saddling up going to Kissimmee, an hour and a half away, and all our kids are flying in to see us. We haven't seen some of them for a year. So you've got to understand where I was in this meeting. I'm standing behind a pulpit preaching... But my heart is sliding out to tomorrow. Y'all with me? I mean, we're wrapping this meeting up, and tomorrow the kids are coming home. I get a three-week break. And man, I can't wait to see the kids. I remember the conference. I remember what I preached. It was a single message I preached four years, five years earlier. 
And I reconstituted and broke it into a multiple part message. They never even caught it. Tells you how much people listen to me. It was nothing special. And so as we go through the message, I'm finishing up. We have the invitation. You know, we know how to do that. You have an invitation. You play music. You invite people to respond. A few people trickled forward. 15-minute altar call, and they were seated, and I can sense we're coming to a close. And then this happened. This lady came forward in her mid-30s, and she threw herself on the altar weeping and wailing. Two women come up to comfort her and to pray with her. And you've got to understand where my heart was. I'm smiling and acting like, isn't this great? But inwardly, you know what I'm saying? Lady... Are you kidding me? I'm getting ready to close this thing down, get that motorhome ready to roll, see my grandkids, and you couldn't have had this figured out 15 minutes earlier? No, you, you think. You think I wasn't thinking that. I promise you, I was thinking that. Like, as one of my grandchildren says, Seriously? And no more than 30 seconds later, a teenager jumps up from out back there, runs forward, grabs his pastor, weeping, and they get down and pray, run back and get the parents, and they pray. And then all of a sudden, another teenager jumps up and another, and suddenly, all of a sudden, I'm going to tell you this, someone was there that was beyond me. People begin to huddle in clusters and praying and crying out to God a man came running up to me and said preacher I need to be saved I went to the pastor's office and led him to the Lord for 45 minutes almost an hour the Holy Spirit of God just weaved his way through the congregation and I'm going to tell you something you cannot make that happen you can't and if you could then you get the credit but what you can do is have your sails set so when he visits, you go somewhere with that meeting and with his visit. Three times. That's what the Holy Spirit looks like in revival. A crushing, weeping, crumbling, and things that no one else can do but he alone. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And oftentimes we're just mechanical, we... Just go through the motions. I've learned that unless the Holy Spirit ratifies a decision, it never lasts. The best it is, is good intentions. But what God does, He does forever. The loveless church, the lifeless church. My pastor, Gary Prisk, used to share the little story of the elephant and the mouse crossing the bridge <laughs> and when they got to the other side that little mouse looked up to the elephant and said we sure shook that bridge didn't we between you and me we don't do too much the big things get done by God and we need him a lot more than we'd like to admit you know why you struggle with sin because the Holy Spirit of God hasn't visited you and given you victory. You know why you study with faithfulness and thought life and think the Holy Spirit of God isn't. You're just trying to do that in your strength. You need Him.
He'll do a better job in all of that than you ever will. Ephesus was the loveless church. Sardis was the lifeless church. And I wonder, would the visitors say, what a vibrant church? Or they would shake your hand and say, wow, you're such a vibrant believer. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit of God would say, no, no, not really. You should have seen them earlier. You should have seen where they were years ago. But the third church, and I want to close with this, in Revelation 3, is in verse 14. These three churches so well represent our struggles tonight. They're my weak areas, and if you're, frankly, if you're halfway honest, you'll recognize they're yours as well. But this is the church at Laodicea. In Revelation 3, look at what's said in verse number 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. There are those two words are again. I know, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here we see the church at Laodicea, and this is the lukewarm church, if you're taking notes. This is the lukewarm church. And notice what they said of themselves. They said in in chapter 3, in verse 17, I have need of nothing. You know what they're saying? I'm okay. I'm okay. We're okay. And the Lord said, no, you're not okay. You're wretched, miserable, blind, poor, blind, and naked. And the Lord says, you're not okay because you are lukewarm. You know, I need to just say, you know what my biggest struggle is today as an American believer? And this is probably yours too, is the spirit of apathy that's out there today. I mean, it's so pervasive, even in God's people. It makes me want to say, well, well, you know, the whole world doesn't care. Nobody cares, you know. Nobody's in love with the Lord. Everybody is lukewarm. Nobody cares, so why should I? The whole world's apathetic, but who cares? It drains me. Do you realize tonight that lukewarm is not normal to God? There's nothing about Jesus Christ that's lukewarm. There's nothing about your Heavenly Father that's lukewarm. Amen? There's there's nothing about Him apathetic. Lukewarm has become very normal in Christianity today. It's become very normal for our children. We raise them and we say this, just don't embarrass me, get a good job, and don't go to jail. In other words... Just be lukewarm. That's what we're saying. Whatever happened to the day we raised passionate children for Jesus Christ? We turned the electronics off and just focused them on Jesus Christ and had them chase Him. Amen? A few years back, we came into Alaska, and I remember a young man and his wife, Elijah and Melanie, they'd grown up with our children in Alaska 
Newly married now, we found out they were in my favorite cafe, the Noisy Goose Cafe up there in Wasilla. They wanted to get together, so we came and we treated them. And this is what that young man said to me. We were talking for about 30 minutes, and then he said this. You know, Brother Dave, you know what Melanie and I have come to the conclusion? I said, what's that? We've come to the conclusion that we are addicted to the ministry. We cannot imagine not serving God with all our heart. We do not want to be nominal. We want to be sold out. We are addicted to the ministry. Wow. Wow. I said, you'll never know what that does to the heart of us gray heads. <laughs> There's nothing better than handing that baton off and just watching somebody peel the track faster than we did. I may not run like I used to, but I can shout and encourage someone who's where I long to be. I was talking to an army ranger, special forces. He became a missionary to Siberia, Russ Posey, in Alaska. He just came back from Russia, from Siberia, with his family. He'd spent eight years investing there, and now he has a church in Alaska near Chitna. I was talking to him. I said, Brother Posey, what do you see? What's the difference between American Christianity and what's going on over there? And he said, you know, preacher, my wife and I on the entire flight back were trying to figure out American Christianity, trying to boil it down to one word. And for hours we batted it around. And preacher, I think we found the word to describe American Christianity. I said, what's the word? This is what he said preoccupied preoccupied busy with things that don't have a lot of value giving first-class dedication to second-class causes a people who has a place for God in their heart just not first place they're so preoccupied with this life wow the church at Ephesus it's loveless I struggle this is a weakness in my area in my life the church at Sardis the lifeless church when you become loveless you become lifeless and you move to lukewarmness a song was written by a lady named Elizabeth Prentice if you want to grab a hymnal, it's in page 473. And I want you to just look at this song because she in this song has, has outlined for every one of us a prayer. 473. Elizabeth Prentice buried at least two of her children as they were young children. She had a life of incredible pain. She died young, married to a preacher. She wrote a book for ladies called Stepping Heavenward. If you've never read it, ladies, a very powerful read. Listen to what she writes in this hymn, Elizabeth Prentice, in page 473. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love to thee, O Christ, to thee. 
she repeats it, more love to thee, more love to thee. In chapter 1, we saw Christ revealing himself to us for who he truly and really was. But in chapter 2 and 3, he reveals to us ourselves and who oftentimes we really are. And at the end of the day, oftentimes we're loveless, we're lifeless, we're lukewarm. And let me say this. You can't make yourself love. You can't give yourself life. And you cannot move yourself from lukewarmness. You have to go to somebody else bigger than you. And it's only Jesus Christ and His love that can bring you to deeper love. It's only Jesus Christ and His life that brings life. It's only Jesus Christ who's a passionate Savior. So passionate, He died at Calvary. He went all the way 100%. That's how passionate He is for you and me. It's only that kind of passion, love, and life that can light us up and change us. We can't do these things. You can't love like that. You can't live like that. You can't be passionate like that. But Jesus Christ in you can. This is why she wrote this. Look at, she goes to the one she knows can change her. More love to thee, O Christ. She goes to him. It's a prayer request. And as we close tonight, we look at the perception of our king. You are who God says you are. Not who you say you are. Or even who others may think you are. And would the king say, you're loveless, lifeless, and lukewarm? You say, yeah. You know what your response ought to be? You ought to come and just beg God to give you more love for Jesus Christ. You ought to ask Him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. More love to Thee, O Christ. Lord, would You give me more love towards You? The perception of our King. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You tonight for this thought. And I know it's challenging. Lord, you spoke to my heart even as I preached it. And Lord, I pray, first of all, you would cleanse and forgive us for an apathetic spirit, a spirit of mediocrity, Lord, that so often we, we give you that place, but it's just not first place. So quickly, we fall in love with the baubles of this life. We leave our first love. We become mechanical and mindless in everything we do. We just serve you in our strength. And then, Lord, we settle for lukewarm. That spirit of mediocrity. Father, I know tonight we cannot change ourselves, but you can change us. And, Lord, we ask that you would give us more love for you, more love for your Son. It's a plea we have. Please, Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Move us from the apathy. Move us into passion. Help us never to lose the wonder of what you've done for us at Calvary. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Music's playing softly. We're going to sing this song. It's on 473. 
Why don't you just come and ask God for what you can't even bring, what you can't even do? Could it be the struggles in your life? Is you just trying to solve everything in your strength? Both men I spoke to today, they said the same thing. They said, I feel like I'm trying to rescue myself. I said, that doesn't work too well, does it? There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The inference is, if you need to be saved, it means you're lost. And if you need to be saved, you need rescued. You can't rescue yourself. Whatever that sea is, sea of apathy, you can't save yourself from that. The sea of lovelessness, you can't save yourself from that. No. There's only one Savior. That means He's not what you are, and He can save you from those conditions. Amen? Let's sing this song together. 473. Written by a woman who died a young life. This was her cry. This was her cry. Sing it with me. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear now the prayer I make. may God grant the prayer request of that song tonight if you sang it with all your heart go home tonight and follow through and get alone in the closet and worship the one who loved you like no one ever did it's an everlasting love it will never let you go get alone with him and ask him to help you not to lose the wonder of it all Amen. Amen. Preacher.
You dismiss us as you see fit. Well, a king is coming. And when you look around in this old world and even in our country right now, you realize that's the answer, folks. That's the answer. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords showing up. There isn't a problem that we have that couldn't be solved by that. Very convicting stuff tonight. Let's take it to heart. Let's let God work in our lives. And uh, be here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Brother Summerdorf will continue. Uh, He did say he's going to get to the end of the book of Revelation. So I don't, I'm, you know, I'm a little skeptical at this point, brother. All right. I, I, I wouldn't even tell you I could do it, so come tomorrow night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, to see if he's telling the truth, or see if he's a liar, okay? All right, uh, Brother Rudiger Hemmer, uh, missionary to Germany, and uh, Brother, would you come on up, him and his wife are here today with us, and would you come up and uh, close us in a word of prayer, Brother? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful tonight for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for what he has done on the cross of Calvary for us, how he suffered, how he died. And Father, I shall never forget that cry that we read from the Word of God. It is finished. My salvation is finished, and we thank you for that. I pray, Father, that you once again, as we part, touch our hearts, and indeed, we want to dedicate more love to Thee. Father, guide us through tomorrow. Keep us all safe. Prepare our hearts for the next message, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.